Well, um, this is the second week in our series on prayer. Uh, we've entitled it uh, Prayer 101, and I want to refresh your memory about the why of the series. Every fall, we start with a spiritual growth emphasis. After a lot of prayer, we decided that this year was going to be on prayer, and uh, we have a lot of things that we want to do uh, over the course of the next year, and all of them really are predicated on prayer. If we look across the fields outside of our building, we have a whole new neighborhood coming in. I think there's 288 apartment complexes going in. We want to be good neighbors to our, our new neighbors there and reach out to them this year. We're already praying for those neighbors. We have a desire to ramp up a discipleship school in the next several years, I'm trying to lay the groundwork for that right now. That requires prayer. We have some local missions pro projects that we're really excited about, uh, one of them being Nehemiah House and all that's going on at Nehemiah House, but there's also others as well. All these things that we want to do require prayer. And then here we have, as our vision as a church, this aspiration that we would encounter transformation. And we know from 2 Corinthians 3.18 that transformation does not happen on our own. It happens as we, as we look into the face of the resurrected Christ, and part of that means that we learn to excel in prayer. And so we wanted to begin this ministry season where all of us were thinking about it on Sunday mornings, thinking about it in our small groups, and even having prayer guides that we can use during the week. And so we have prayer guides out in, out in the atrium. So that's why we started our ministry season with a series on prayer. And this morning I want to get to what I believe is the most important prayer you can pray every day. So you know how there are all these websites now that rank things in order of importance. And uh, some of these are things like ranker.com. Amazon obviously does this because they want you to buy their products. Billboard.com does that. So I thought I'd take you through a little bit of an exercise. Uh, what are the top 10 musicals ever produced? Anybody have an idea? Les Mis, Les Mis, you got it. That's uh, at least among the top 10 on most of those websites. Most popular band in rock and, rock and roll history? Well, Beatles, of course, there's a lot of, lot of options that you could pick from. Beatles, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, but people these days have their opinions about these. They don't like baby boomer bands. They want the new ones, you know, but anyway. World's fastest roller coaster is not in the United States. It's in Abu Dhabi, and it's called the Formula Rasa, and apparently it is a screamer. I mean, you're, it's the fastest one ever. Most popular country artists of all time, if you guessed Garth Brooks, you would be right. He shows up almost always as number one on the list. But then we could ask, what's the most important prayer to pray each day? There are 650 prayers in the Bible. Could you argue that one prayer in the Bible is the most important prayer. Well, I think it, it may, be, may be possible because of the way Jesus talked about what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught this prayer on two occasions, and the way He taught the prayer makes it seem as if He wanted us to pray this prayer not just every day, but often during the day, frequently. 
Now, some of you grew up in churches where you, sit, you prayed it every week, and so you automatically memorized the prayer. The way Jesus words the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11 gives you the impression that He wants you to pray that prayer every day. For instance, He says things like, when you pray, pray this way. In other words, He's saying, when you pray, let me give you the, let me give you the model prayer, the prayer, the pattern for prayer that I want you to pray each day. So my conviction is that you could pray this prayer every day, and if you prayed one prayer every day and really meant it, this would be the most important prayer you could pray. But let me tell you something. Most people don't know what it means. Imagine that, Lord's Prayer. You've heard it so often. And and it's, you've never taken a deep dive into what the prayer actually means. We're going to take a deep dive into it this morning. What I want to do is I want to take it in five phrases, and we're just going to take them one phrase at a time. We begin with phrase one, our Father. So that means that prayer begins with a clear view of God as our Father. The paradigm for your prayer life depends upon your mental conception of fatherhood. Now, that's both good and bad, right? It's good and bad because, um, because some of you had really good dads, and some of you had middle-of-the-road dads, and some of you had dads that were a little bit problematic. But you're, if you're going to pray well, your paradigm for prayer means that when you envision God, you envision Him as an ideal father. Now, here's what's interesting about this. When you encountered fatherhood as a child, you encountered fatherhood in a pre-linguistic state. In other words, you couldn't process what you were thinking, what you were feeling. You just received it. You felt it. You encountered it. And therefore, you encountered the idea of fatherhood in a pre-linguistic state, in a very deep, intuitive sort of a way. Now, if you had a great dad, that's, that's good, because you have maybe a healthy view of God as Father. If you had a father who, was, uh, who did things that made you feel pain, then that's going to be something that you have to overcome. Sitting now, we're in a small group many years ago in Dallas. During our small group, we got into a discussion about our respective family backgrounds. When the subject of fatherhood came up, the host of our small group rolled her eyes in contempt, and she said, I don't even want to think about my father. Thinking about God as father is really a problem for me. It's hard for me to pray our father and have the image of my earthly father come to mind. So one of the things that we have to do in praying our father is wrestle with our image of fatherhood. So let me tell you the two decisions that you have to make as you do this. Decision number one is, th is this. I will not allow any father pain to influence my prayer to the God of the universe. That's a decision that you have to make before you walk in that decision. I will not allow any past father pain 
to influence the way that I pray to the God of the universe. There's a very interesting book by, um, by Paul Witz called The Faith of the Fatherless, subtitle is Psychology of Atheism. Paul Witz um, chronicled many of the famous atheists down through history, and he claims that all the major atheists had deeply conflicted relationships with their father. It, it colored their view of God. So if I'm going to grow in prayer, I've got to assess, what was my relationship with my earthly dad like? And I'm going to make a decision to not let any of the father pain influence how I think about God. It's a decision before you walk in it. But you've got to make the decision. And the second decision you make is this. I will not limit my view of God even to the image of my really good dad that I had. Because some of you had really good fathers. And if that's you, you are so blessed. Good for you. We're thankful for the experience you had with a really good dad. But here's the deal. Even if you had a really good dad, you need to raise up your view of your earthly father beyond that and say to yourself, I choose to experience my heavenly father in a more perfect way. So our Father means we have to wrestle with what is my image of fatherhood. So let me, let me give you the image of fatherhood. And here, this is so neat that the Bible does this. The Bible give us, gives us the image of fatherhood in the term Abba, Father. Abba, Father. What a great thing to say, Abba, Father. So when you think about Abba, Father, you think, number one, about a, an image that conveys intimacy. The term Abba means daddy. But don't think about it like daddy in our culture, because you can say daddy in our culture. It, does not it means intimacy for sure, but it does not necessarily mean respect. The term Abba Father is intimacy plus respect. You can have a term of endearment in our 2018 culture uh, for fatherhood that could be like pops or daddy-o or dad-man, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's, that's familiarity that might be intimacy, but it's not respect. Abba Father joined together these two ideas of intimacy and honor, intimacy and respect. So you could roughly translate it this way. Uh, you, would, you, could, you could sort of say, uh, you'd never say this, right, in practice, but it, it'd be like my dearest, most honored dad or my most respected and cherished papa. It is intimacy combined with almost, almost a reverential awe of the person that you respect so highly. Now, I would argue in our culture, very few of us have intimacy plus reverential awe. I mean, that's not a feature of our culture. So if you're going to come to God as Abba, Father, part of what this means is that I think intimacy, but at the same time, I also think reverential awe. I hear sometimes people teach about Abba, Father, and it's almost like they're thinking, hey, Pops, hey, Pops in heaven. It's like, no, that's not what Abba, Father means. It's intimacy and honor at the same time. Now, let me take this one step further. This is a concept that must be cultivated through 
through discipline. I say discipline because this view of Abba Father is obviously in the Bible cultivated through practice. You might not feel intimacy and reverential awe. You might not feel it. But it's, it's a discipline that we move into. Now, why do I say that? I say it because adoption in the ancient world took place when you were an adult, mostly. So let's say that I'm, I'm poor, I'm 21, and I'm really gifted in finance. And there is a very wealthy entrepreneur over here whose kids hate the company. And the entrepreneur says, I'm going to adopt this poor but financially brilliant young man. I'm going to adopt him in my family, and he's going to take over the business when I die. Now, he'll support his brothers. Okay, that's the part, of the part of the inheritance. But he's the one who's going to be the CEO of the company when I die. So you would adopt this person at age 21, 22, 23. You would adopt him, right? So now he is your adopted dad. So, but Paul says, we call him Abba Father. Would you ever do that to, to like, your adopted dad if you're 21 years old? Like, I'm 21, I get adopted, Abba Father. Yeah, no, you would not do that. that. That would be too familiar. That'd be a little bit awkward. But Paul's saying with the Father, it does happen. Because what we do is we learn to encounter feelings of intimacy and awe. How? Through spiritual disciplines of seeing the Father in an intimate and yet reverential way. Let, let me tell you something. That is a spiritual discipline that must be cultivated through practice. So, this is a concept cultivated through discipline, and then it's a concept that conveys the supernatural because um, in the writings, at least of the Apostle Paul, he talks, talks about this in Galatians and Romans, who is it that prompts us to call the Father, Abba Father? It's the Spirit. The Spirit prompts us to cry out, Abba Father. Well, when does the Spirit cause us to do this? Well, when do you normally cry out? When you're desperate, when you've hit rock bottom, when you're in pain, when you're struggling, when life seems to be crumbling around about you, cry out, Abba, Father. And who drives you to do that? It's the Spirit. So this concept is intimacy and honor. You cultivate this through discipline, and this is an image that conveys the supernatural. So when you say, our Father, in the Lord's Prayer, that's what you're doing. You're thinking about intimacy and honor. I'm doing this as a discipline. And Spirit, make this real in my life. So let's, let's just draw, draw this together. Let's draw this together. You're thinking about God as Father. And I want to ask you a question. This is a hard question. What do you think is the essence of fatherhood? think, wow, that's a very philosophical question. What, what, what is the essence of fatherhood? So that we say, our Father, we're thinking about the God of the universe as the ideal dad. What's the essence of fatherhood? Well, I want to net it out for you in one sentence. And I've basically done this by combining the biblical concepts of fatherhood into one sentence. And it's a little dangerous to do this because... <laughs> There's a lot of concepts in the Bible about fatherhood, but here's my take on it. Fatherhood is warmth 
with strength and sacrifice in pursuit of a great future. Fatherhood is warmth. You bring a new child into the world, and the dad holds the child and sees his image reflected in his son or daughter, and he is warm toward that child. It's warmth with strength and sacrifice. I'm going to be strong on your behalf. I'm going I'm to sacrifice in your behalf. In pursuit of what? In pursuit of a great future. Fatherhood is warmth with strength and sacrifice in pursuit of a great future. Now, if you, if you think about God the Father that way, then what's going to happen is that you realize, man, He is for me. He is on my side. He is for my future. He is for the things that I'm dreaming about. He is for my character being formed. He's for me. And you come to God in a completely different way. I remember um, many years ago, I think it was, I was probably 10 years old, my dad invited me on a business trip. And we flew from Detroit to California, landed in San Francisco. We were in San Francisco and Seattle. And the cool thing about that trip is that it was this father-son time. It was like only me and my dad. And the cool thing about this trip is that I felt like my dad was for me in this trip. This trip was a business trip. But he had planned the, planned the trip for me. I called my sister, and she, she had gone on a similar trip when she was 10 years old. And she said the same thing. I feel like the trip was a business trip, but it, dad was for me. Focused attention on me. That's the father that you're coming to, ultimately, the God of the universe who is for you, our father. Now I move to the second phrase, who is in heaven. So what this means is that in prayer we understand that um, God is very near. Now, the first thing that is really surprising about this term is that the term heavens is, in, is, is plural. He- Our Father who is in heaven, well, the term heaven in the original language is plural. It's heavens plural. So, you've got to ask the question, what in the world does that mean? When the Bible talks about, about heaven, it, it's uses it in four ways. Heavens could be the natural world around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. That means it's earth, the sky, it's where the birds are. Heavens in the Bible also is the place out there somewhere, figuratively, where God resides. Solomon uses it this way when he's praying. You know, God, you're going to hear from heaven. It's kind of the vague idea that God is out there somewhere, and he's going to hear from that place, and he's going to intervene. Heavens also is a place where we go after we die, 1 Peter 1.4, reserved in heaven for you. You've got an inheritance that's reserved there. But also, heavens is the invisible spiritual realm around us, like immediately around us. I talked about that a little bit last week. We live in a sphere, a heavenly sphere, where the heavenly realm is all around us because uh, that's the way that God set up our universe. Now, think about this on the natural side. Uh, on the natural side, are invisible things in the science world, scientific world real? Yes. 
Can you see ultraviolet rays? No. But when you get sunburned, what's happened? The ultraviolet rays have burned your skin. Can you see Wi-Fi signals? No. When, you take, when I take this thing here, this remote, and I press the button, I can't see the Bluetooth signals, I'm assuming that's what they are, that go to my Surface Pro. I can't see them, but I know they're real because this thing's working this morning. Things in the scientific world are real even though we can't see them. Uh, I printed a document out last night on my, from my phone to my computer. Of course it's going to work. Bluetooth works. It's invisible, but it works. Let me take it one step further. I cannot see my wife's mind. I can't see your mind. But I, I treat you as if you have a mind that wants to know and be known. So invisible things are very real. What the Bible is, is simply, simply saying is that we live in a spiritual realm all around us that's very real where God's, God's presence is. Like, for instance, let me just net it out for you. Every one of us in this room who knows Christ has a guardian angel. You ever seen your guardian angel? Have you ever, have you ever wondered where he was <laughs> when something happened in your life? Or have you ever thought, wow, I could have been in that big accident and uh, that would have been the end, but somehow I was saved from that. This invisible realm is the realm where God says, I'm going to send forth my angels to assist you. Hebrews 1.14, they're ministering spirits sent out to minister to us. Why, why is God the Father called the Lord of hosts? Because He sends out angels in the invisible spiritual realm to provide assistance to us. This invisible realm is where the abiding ministry of Jesus takes place. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Our faith is not a matter of hearing what Christ said long ago and trying to carry it out. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. Where? Well, He's invisibly present in the space around you, in the spiritual space around you. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as Himself. He's beginning to inject His kind of life and thought into you. He's beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man or woman. There's an invisible spiritual realm around you. So let's go get back to the Lord's Prayer. When you, when you pray, our Father who is in the heavens, what you're saying is, God, I know that you are immediately present around me. Thank you. Lord, I affirm your presence in this room. Lord, I affirm your presence in this office. I affirm your presence in this classroom. I affirm your presence in this place. You are immediately around me right now. I want you to imagine a little boy who's sick in bed. That boy has a fever of 104. That boy is really ill. Many times in the middle of the night, he's crying out in pain. He's getting physically ill. So the father uh, rolls in a little mattress, and he says, I'm going to sleep on the floor all night long. 
And when that little boy wakes up crying out, the dad is there. When that boy gets physically sick, the father cleans it up. When that boy is shaking and sweating because the fever is so high, the dad is there to mop up his, the sweat in a wet washcloth and cool him down. So that little boy, he can't really see his dad during much of the time because it's dark and it's night. And sometimes he's asleep. But the dad is there. That's the God you're coming to. You're coming to a God who is immediately near you and present with you in the space, the spiritual space that immediately surrounds you. That leads to the third praise, the third phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. In this phrase, what we're, what we're doing is we're, is we're we're rethinking the central passion of my life. Here we have a father who is the idealized ultimate father who is immediately present around us. And what we're now doing in saying, hallowed be your name, is we're recalibrating and rethinking about what's my, what's my purpose in life? What's my priority in life? Is it my agenda? Is it my authority? Is it my power? Is it my lust for money? Is it my lust for experiences and pleasures? Or is the central passion of my life the fame of the name of God? How many times have you gotten up in the morning and, and, and said to yourself, how many likes did I get on my post last night? Maybe check. I posted it a little bit late, so maybe people didn't see it yet. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I've done it, okay? But how many times you've gotten up in the morning and saying, okay, Jesus, what can I do to spread around the fame of your name today? Lord, I want you to be famous. I want people to say, you're amazing. I want people to say that the Christ in me, the Christ in me is drawing people to the Father. Lord, what can I do to make that happen today? That's the idea within the Lord's Prayer. So think about what we do when we in, induct people into the Hall of Fame. Here's the class of 2018. I circle the two people that probably you, you know best, Brian Orlocker and, and Ray Lewis. You know the other guys there, I'm sure, but those guys are, have gotten kind of the most notoriety recently, I suppose. And so here you got, you got the class of 2018. Can Brian Urlacher still do what he did when he was playing for the Bears? No, no. He can't tackle like he used to. He can't catch like he used to. He can't hit like he used to. But what are they doing? What are the executives of the Hall of Fame doing when they put him in the Hall of Fame? They're, they've got a statistics out there. They've got, they got a bust made out of bronze or something like that. They're trying to magnify the fame of Brian Urlacher, right? The executives of the Hall of Fame. That's what they're trying to do. So you have the privilege, the privilege of making the fame of God great in your mind and in the minds, in the minds of others. Hallowed be your name, Lord. May your name be great. So something that really kind of hit me 
I was watching uh, CNN. I don't often watch CNN, but I was watching CNN one night. Let me go back to this. Alice Marie Johnson was reunited with her daughter for the first time following her release from, pri from prison after President Trump commuted her sentence. You may, may remember that it was Kim Kardashian who had influenced the president to uh, commute her sentence. What does Alice Marie Johnson say on national TV multiple times? She says, Mr. President, I will make you so proud. Now, why? Because when you receive mercy, when you receive mercy, you want to spread around the fame of the name of the person who gave you that mercy. And that's, that's your role with the Father. Hallowed be your name, Lord. <laughs> Lord, your influence in my life changed everything. I want to spread around the fame of your name. How do you do that? Well, it first of all starts with a desire that it happen, whether you do it or not. It starts off with as a value, Lord, I want this to happen. It starts off as a personal value. And then uh, I, can, I can participate in that value through the things that I say. In other words, if I say things that reflect the character of God, things that show love, that show good honor, that show good boundaries, I am magnifying something of the character of the Father. It can also, I can also spread it on the fame of His name with what I do. But, but the, the idea is that this is an invitation for us to purify our motives. What am I about as a person? And what Jesus says what we need to value most is the fame of the name of the Father who is very near in the space even immediately surrounding us. That moves us to the, to the next phrase, your kingdom come. This has confused a lot of people. What we're doing in this phrase is we're seeking God's immediate breakthrough in advance of His ultimate breakthrough. Okay, let me, let me, let me put, it, put it to you this way. We know that God is going to provide ultimate kingdom breakthrough in the future. God's ultimate kingdom will break through in the future, and it will break through in Jesus' millennial kingdom. He'll come and reestablish His millennial kingdom. It'll come in the new heavens and the new earth, so we know His ultimate kingdom is going to come. Your kingdom will come. We know that. But in this prayer, what we're saying is, God, God, could you, could you have your kingdom presence and power break through now? Like as a, as a, as a foretaste of later, like as a, as a down payment on later, as, a, as an example of what will happen later? In other words, will your kingdom break through now? This is a, a prayer that God's kingdom power would break through in the present, in the here and now, right here, right now, as a foretaste, as an example of what we know is going to happen later on in the future. So let me, let me pause for a second and just remind you what God's kingdom is. The term kingdom dominates the Bible. The term kingdom is in every single Old Testament book except for three. It begins in Genesis. It ends in Revelation. There are 3,500 references to the kingdom in the Old Testament. There are 100 
and 60 references to the kingdom in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament references go back to the lips of Jesus. It is a dominant theme in the Bible. And um, the concept really comes down to one thing. By, by the way, it's just super hard sometimes to get to a clear concept because nobody defines it. David didn't define it. Jesus did not define it. He used the term, didn't define it. Paul doesn't define it. John doesn't define it. We think, well, somebody please define the kingdom. Well, um, it's not easy to come up with a definition because it's a big, broad definition that encompasses a, a, a lot. But let me, let me just give you the, the essence of it. God's kingdom is His all-inclusive reign over all places, all peoples, all things for all time. God's kingdom is His all-inclusive reign, all people, all places, all things, all time, His all-inclusive reign. And He will reign fully and completely at the end of time. We know that. But that reign is still taking place right now. And God's kingdom reign is the way He rules all over the world, but applied to us personally, it's the way He rules in the places around us, in the spaces or the spiritual spaces around us. It's the places where God, God rules there. So as you choose to live under Jesus' kingdom rule now, the resources of His kingdom rule are available to, it, to you, like the power of the Holy Spirit, like the resource of prayer, like supernatural love that's poured out through the Holy Spirit, like the angelic hosts that are ready to act on your behalf, like power when you pray for healing, power when you pray for deliverance, power when you engage in spiritual disciplines, power for forgiveness, power for spiritual warfare. In other words, if you submit to the kingdom rule of God right now, that kingdom rule is available to be operative in your life right now. And so, when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, He's telling us something about the Christian life. The Christian life is about you living on earth in such a way that God's kingdom breaks through often. It's me submitting to the kingdom rule of God in such a way that God's kingdom power and presence breaks through many, many times during the day, many times during the week. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come right, right here, please, right now. So here's, here's my question for you. What, what would it be like if God broke through in your home this week and you felt His presence and your power there? What would that be like? I'm asking myself that question this week because we offered to take care of my son's and daughter-in-law's dog for a year. What was I thinking? Well, I know what I was thinking. I know what I was thinking. I was thinking how important this would be for my son and daughter-in-law as they go off to graduate school for a year and can't take their dog. That's what I was thinking. So I'm asking myself the question, what would it be like if God's kingdom presence and power broke through in our home this week? That's, in the grand scheme of things, a minor thing. What would it be like if you're at serious odds with your spouse 
or brokenhearted over a child. What would that be like if God's presence and power broke through? What would it be like if God's presence, kingdom presence broke through in your work? And you saw your work from a different standpoint. What would life be like if God's kingdom power broke through in your dreams about the future? And you could actually dream about something that God was helping you plan for. No matter where you go um, in this world, you, you go into God's kingdom presence. We sang that song, this is my father's world. You go in God's kingdom presence. And God's kingdom power can break through anytime, anywhere, for any reason. But he wants us to be praying, your kingdom come, God, right here in this space. Let me flesh this out a little bit more. God's kingdom is you being a teacher in the power of the Spirit and you bringing the presence of God into your classroom. God's kingdom is you being a business leader in the power of the Spirit and you being the kind of leader that attracts people to the values laid down in the Scriptures. The kingdom is a mom staying up late, pouring out kindness on a sick child. God's kingdom is a teenager on a mission trip loving a little child with autism whom he will never see again, but loving that child for, for Christ's sake. God's kingdom is you living in the kingdom presence and power of God and saying, God, will you let your, your breakthrough happen in this situation right here, please? Because I want people to see, and I want to see, a demonstration in the present of what we know is going to take place ultimately in the future. So, let me paraphrase this. Our Father, my Father, who is very near, I want to make your name great. So, could you let your kingdom break through in my situation today, like at the bank and at the dealership and in my office and in my practice? And Lord, I want your kingdom breakthrough to come with power, just like power happens all the time in heaven. But God's kingdom, you know, breaks through. We, we want it to break through just like power is always present in, in heaven. So now we go to the next phrase. It takes us back to the beginning, and it's our Father, our Father. The very first phrase, our Father who is in heaven. The reason why he uses the word our is because what he wants us to do is remember that prayer should be community-based. If, if I pray alone and God delivers a breakthrough, fabulous, I love it. But if I pray in community and God delivers a breakthrough, the sense of celebration that I have is all that much more. So God wanted us to pray the Lord's Prayer in community not in a rote way, where we're not even thinking about what we're saying, but in a community that reaches up to the Father and says, Father, I want your name to be great. Will you please break through into this situation right now? And we do it in community. In a way, we encounter a greater glory because we, we have celebration of other people. So let me give you some takeaways to start strong in prayer. Number one, we go to the main idea. When we pray, we should visualize a loving Father who is very near in the space around us. Because remember, the Father is, I'll use the theological term, contemporaneously present at every point in space in the universe and beyond. All of God is contemporaneously present at every point of space, both in the universe and beyond it. He fills everything. 
But that does mean that he fills the space immediately surrounding you. And we should ask for his kingdom breakthrough right here, right now, as an expression of that greatness. So first takeaway, visualize his nearness as a spiritual discipline. Some of you probably have not done this. Visualize it as a spiritual discipline. The entirety of God is contemporaneously present at every point of space, both within the universe and beyond it. But that means he's right around you as well. You can visualize that and think about that. <clears throat> Second takeaway, find a group you can pray with on a regular basis. You know, in, in biblical terminology, two people constitutes a group. Jesus defined a group this way, whether two or three are gathered together in my name. So if you have one other prayer partner, you can, you can start doing this praying for God's supernatural breakthrough. I've been so blessed to have a, had a partner in prayer for 23 years, every Wednesday, 5 p.m., and we pray for our family. And whatever good God has brought into our family, I will tell you, a big part of it has happened because this partner and I pray for each other's wives, our children, our grandchildren, I may have to include dog in there as well. It's actually a grand dog. I need to, yeah, yeah. Third takeaway, pray for kingdom breakthrough in an area relevant to you now. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to stand for our closing prayer, and our, one of our elders, Terry, is going to come up, and he's going to lead us into a prayer for breakthrough right now. My name's uh, Terry Christian. It's an honor to uh, serve on the elder board here. And as I close this in prayer, would you please join me? I just want to remind you that after the service, you're welcome to come up for prayer, and we would be honored to pray for you. Father, I so thank you for the freedom to come together and to worship you. And Father, we come before you today. We submit to you. We ask for your kingdom to surround us, to extend through us to bless us, to show fame to your name. Lord, thank you for this teaching, and we ask that these seeds that are planted from your word would be watered by the Holy Spirit, that you would make our lives alive with the presence of God. We thank you. We honor you. We bless your name today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.